Hey out there, everybody. We're back for the conclusion of our summer of 1993 at the movies. Uh, tonight, we'll be discussing the second half of that summer, July and August. And the 4th of July weekend opened in a big way with Polly Shore, Sudden-in-law. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, no. Uh, I once came up with an idea for a Polly Shore movie. Yeah. Where uh I it was I really didn't think of it as a Polly Shore movie, but I just thought uh and didn't he do did he do a movie called Jury Duty or something like that? Yeah, that he did. Is. He did do a movie called Jury Duty. I remember watching Jury Duty and thinking thinking uh oh boy, they kind of screwed the pooch on this one because there could be a good idea if I thought of a movie of like a, a guy kind of falling in love with one of the Cope jurors and uh, it uh, their love affair, uh, which is clandestine, obviously, uh, uh, sort of screws up the um, screws up the deliberation process. So I just thought, ah, oh, that sounds like an interesting take on it. Mm-hmm. I long- think it might be good, like just a, a one joke, ninety minute Polly Shore jury duty movie. Where they can't they can't stop giggling over the word over the Polly Shore and the word polygraph <laughs> for ninety minutes. Probably funny. funnier funnier than the actual movie, I'm sure. Yes, yes, probably so. This one, I actually think this is the one where he actually had his best script. Uh, it, it's uh, you know. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a real, you know, it's a, it's. I mean, it's Sweet Home Alabama, basically, but with Polly Shore. Uh, but he's fun. Carlo <laughs> Gugino is terrific. Lane Smith, that's the dad, is really really good. Uh, uh, so, I do uh, like Lane Smith like, and Carlo Gugino. I love them. <laughs> it's true. Who is this that pitch? It's it's uh, Sweet Hope Alabama, but with Polly Shore. Uh, like it's uh, it's Shoot the Moon, but with Polly Shore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Okay. Uh, All right. July seventh is a Rookie of the Year. That's the Disney movie. Uh, <sighs> I like I like uh, Daniel Stern directed it. Of course, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good uh, children's baseball, good children's baseball movie. We got a few of these in the early '90s. Uh, earlier in the year, we got The Sandlot, which is a terrific kids baseball movie, and then the following year, we get uh, Little Big League and Angels in the Outfield. And Rookie of the Year is uh, is really good. And I uh, don't know if y'all are aware of this, but this is a kind of a uh, a big deal at Wrigley Field. Uh, they really, they really love this movie at Wrigley Field. Daniel Stern revived his coach persona when the Cubs were going to the World Series for some commercials. Uh, the kid who's all grown up, he's like thrown out the baseball like I think half a dozen times at uh, Wrigley Field. Uh, it's the last time Gary Busey was "quote unquote" uh, normal in a movie. <laughs> hey, he was that, the last time, really. Uh, he he gives a relatively sane performance in Rookie of the Year, so I would say this was his la- this was his last hurrah. 
Uh, wow, so he had two movies within one week of each other. Yeah. Oh. All right, Gary, Gary Busey Summer. Summer. It, it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a movie. Uh, Gary Busey Summer. This summer, that this like summer great... was owned by Gary Busey <laughs> like, at <laughs> by the... Let me tell you. Yeah. So I like I like Rookie of the Year. I like Rookie of the Year. All Never right. seen I, it. I didn't either. Uh, <laughs> two of us. And no still, no love, still no love for Ed, that Matt LeBlanc monkey. Uh, <laughs> July 9th. July 9th was Weekend of Bernie's 2. Ah. Which was double the misery of the first. Lot of people love that weekend. People love that first weekend at Bernie's. And I, I will know. say that there's something there's something about that weekend at the Bernie's that was good for Andrew McCarthy, I think, because he was uh, he was always the straight laced guy, the uptight yuppie. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He's always playing like. Kinda, yeah. He's always playing like very, very uh, angsty guys, you know, uh, in in most of the movies. Even if the everybody else is uh, playing a light comedy around him, uh, he was he was always uh, kind of. Well, his favorite actor was Montgomery Clift. Uh, I know that from interviewing him. Uh, so uh, so that's who he looked to for uh, for inspiration and. Uh, we know that Montgomery Clift was also quite angsty, so... America's favorite stiff is back. That's Bernie Lomax. I recognize that smirk anywhere. But this corpse has a job to do. I found this in Bernie's wallet. It's a key to a safety deposit box in St. Thomas. Access two million bucks in Lomax stone. It's noted as a personal entry. Account. What does it mean? The only one who can get in is Bernie Lomax personally, and, well, he's kind of dead right now. We go back to the morgue. We get the body. We go to St. Thomas. No. We take Bernie to the bank. So they're packing him up. I think I'm going to sit down. Thanks. And heading for the islands. But they're about to discover. Raise this man from the dead. He will lead you to where he has hidden the money. That Bernie Lomax is more popular than ever. Two guys, they're taking Bernie. How dead? How dead is this guy by the second movie? It's like he should be uh, he, he still, de- decomposing. It, it literally, I, it picks up like like literally a day or two after the first one ended, and so they need his body to I think claim some money or something. I I, I this is a film I've I've only seen like fifteen minutes uh, of it, and when I say I've seen fifteen minutes. Not 15 minutes straight. I've seen like five minutes here, five minutes there. <laughs> um, between changing the channels. Yeah, and this is one. This is a classic example of the studios like, of uh oh wow, you know that movie that we made that wasn't a big hit, but like everyone loves it on VHS and on HBO. I think we can make a sequel now. So. <laughs> And uh, make some uh, make some more money. You know, it would have been great. Uh, it would have been great if Cronenberg uh, had done one of those weekend of burnings, and you could you could uh, you could change between like a like a screwball comedy and the ultimate in body horror as he's decomposing yes. and all of that kind of crap. <laughs> that would have been a twisted. There's movie. a there's a film festival to be programmed, or at least a triple feature or whatever. I don't know. A film festival to be programmed with these. Of- 
of these uh, sequels made to movies that weren't hits, but, you know, became like massive cult hits, you know, for cable. So I mean, we get Weekend of Bernie's 2, we get Eddie the Cruisers 2, FX 2, you know, mm. we, uh, Return of Re- Bride of Reanimator, you know, Basket Case 2. All these really bad sequels to movies that were. Would you attend that festival, Adam? What? What was that? <laughs> would you attend? Would you attend festival? that festival? Oh, would I attend it? Uh, probably not. Except for Basket Case Two was tolerable out of the ones you mentioned, but the rest of those are pretty forgettable. <laughs> I think. I would attend. Hey, if we could get a 4K restoration of Eddie and the Cruises Two. I'd attend. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a Blu-ray of it out there that came out not too long ago. So. Oh man, 4K restoration. There you go. Uh, let's get uh Let's get that. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> God. By the way, Dean, before I forget, before I forget, I got to tell you that uh, we won't talk about it, but I just want to throw this out there. I did something in public last week that I've never done before. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, what a great setup. <laughs> I is. was watching a, I was at a screening of Won't You Be My Neighbor and I cried so hard I snorted. <laughs> well <laughs> and then, and then I, I tried to cover it up by coughing. Like oh, <laughs> excuse me. Well luckily yeah, you were in the theater with a lot of other people who were crying too, I'm sure. Oh yeah, they're they're all crying. Yeah, yeah. There was sniffles uh, okay. all throughout the theater I was watching it in, so July 9th is uh, the, uh, the same day as Weekend of Bernie's, too. This is good counter-programming. Uh, it was a movie with a, with another guy uh, that's so old he should be dead, Clint Eastwood, and that was In the Line of Fire. Oh, that was a, a uh, decent movie. Yeah. Now we're yeah, talking. That was, amazing, that was, a, that's one of the, that was one of the best thrillers of the 90s. Yes. Uh, and that had one of the best trailers of the year. Um I remember uh, it uh, was it. It had uh, it said 1963, and you would hear uh, Malkovich and Eastwood's voices, and the the six would turn around to a nine, and then coming summer 90, 1993. Oh yeah, fire. That was that was a cool trailer. Um, great script. Wolfgang Peterson, great direction. Yeah, Malkovich. Um, you know, and then we get the bat- basically we got the battle royale this summer of like which was the better villain, John Malkovich or Tom Lee Jones, because mm-hmm. we basically got um, the two best thrillers of the year within like a month of each other. So in the line of fire and the fugitive, and just really really good stuff. And I and, remember I remember really loving uh, Renee Russo in it. I remember thinking yeah. Thinking she was a very dynamic, uh, dynamic lead, uh, um, you know, uh, love interest, and uh, I thought she, she put a lot of effective challenges up to Clint Eastwood, and their scenes together good. are and, wonderful. And a lot of, and a few critics were very rightly uh, suggesting and wanting Eastwood to get a Best Actor nomination. Yeah. Uh, it was some of his best work. Yeah, I mean he's uh, 
Was this the, you know, it seems like it's one of the first movies that I remember seeing him, like, really openly weep like he does. Yeah. He, he does in that one scene, and uh, uh, he, he's he's terrific in it. It's just a, uh, Jeff Nathanson, is that the uh, the screenwriter? Yeah. Uh, he was, that, that was a really, really good script, and uh, just uh, dynamically filmed, and uh, Ennio Morricone score, right? Uh, I yeah, think. yeah. And, and what uh, unusual, really unusual score. I have a yeah. score, and I I stayed at the hotel. And when, last time I was in LA, I stayed at that glass hotel, the Western Bonaventure, which mm. is a famous hotel, particularly for those glass elevators. Yeah, so I was in the glass elevators that uh, Malkovich was hanging by, and that Schwarzenegger rode his horse into. And what this film kind of uh, pre uh, pre uh, foretold um, is that. That we were really getting to the end of this, of the 80s and early 90s, of all these kind of uh, uh, larger-than-life, muscle-bound action heroes who mm-hmm. who didn't look like normal people. And Clint Eastwood was the first, or not the first, but his character was one of these uh, very uh, lifelike, human-sized action heroes, and. It was going to be it was basically counterintuitive to what we were getting used to, and then this would just only be brought home even further the following year with the Keanu Reeves and Speed, and so then we started getting these kind of uh, these uh, quirky action heroes, the Keanu Reeves and Nick Cage, who were more representative of like everyday people versus the muscle-bound Schwarzeneggers and Stallones, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what that's what Eastwood did. But you know, he basically he was once Eastwood was always smart about kind of under undercutting his image when uh, the time was right, be it in Tightrope or Heartbreak Ridge or now in this film, and you know he's playing a you know a, an action hero who's getting older. You know there's like the great shot of him running against running aside the the, the 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 president's limo and he's out of breath and sweating. So you know. Always had little those little things that make the movie great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. Why is it everyone who ever knew you said that you're a sick son of a bitch? Your colleagues, your wife. Uh, what does your wife say about you, Frank? Oh, we're not talking about me, Frank. You of all people, I want you to understand. Why should because I understand? Because we both used to think that this country was a very special place. You don't know what I used. To oh, be. but you know about me. Do you have any idea what I've done for God and country? Some pretty fucking horrible things. I don't even remember who I was before they sunk their claws into me. They made you into a real monster, That's right? That's right. And now they want to destroy me because we can't have monsters roaming the quiet countryside now, can we? What do you see when you're in the dark and the demons come? I see you, Frank. I see you standing over the grave of another dead president. Okay, the next movie, July 16th, is Free Willy, which uh, mm. put uh, put Michael Madsen on the on the uh, kids' film map. <laughs> yeah, this was a weird movie to see with Michael Madsen because... Uh, I think Reservoir Dogs had just come out on video like three months earlier. So, you know, if you hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs in theaters, 
and you're catching them up on video, and so you're like, ooh, Mr. Blonde. And then literally three months later, you go see Free Willy, and like, wait a minute. Uh, so that was weird. Um, and I kind of wish Michael Madsen would do more of this, because he's really good playing nice guys, be it this or Thelma and Louise. But they don't they they rarely get him to to do that. Um, I like Free Willy, uh, the first one anyways. It's a good boy and his dog story or boy and his whale story. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's, it's, a, it's a good it's a good family it's a good family film. And it spawned a big hit for Michael Jackson, right? Uh, will you be there? Oh, jeez, I forgot about that. Wow. <laughs> Right, and he had wow. the the song for the Free Willy Two Childhood. That's right. Uh, yep. Huh. Wow. How long How long did it take that whale to die? It seems like like twenty years later or something. We got word that Kiko or whatever the whale's name was had died. Yeah, it took a long time. It was a, it was a hardy whale, man. <laughs> it had a it had a whale of a heart. But I remember there was controversy because wasn't wasn't Kiko the one that was held in captivity or something? It's like the whale from Free Willy is being mistreated after the movie came out, oh. and they were petitioning to maybe know. I've got it all wrong. I don't know. Probably. Uh, maybe I'm movie. thinking. Of, maybe I'm thinking of Mickey Rooney. I, I, I get those confused. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know who was going to play the whale. before? Before they cast it, right? Marlon Brando. Uh, uh, oh, I thought yeah. it was going to be Rosie O'Donnell. Marlon <laughs> Brando. Uh, uh, sorry. He, he turned it down. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Uh, July 16th, also a big. Uh, now, this is probably the cult hit of the summer season, really. It's not a movie I've ever particularly cared for, but people love it. And I have also, last time I was in LA, I saw the house. A witch's house where this was filmed. It's a real house on a real street with normal houses, and real people live there. Uh, and the movie's called Hocus Pocus. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's a big cult uh, movie, though. I mean, you got to admit, people still love this movie. I've never seen. Yeah, this is one of those. I have to admit, this is one of those staples from like, you know, from like even little kids uh, where they they don't admit that it's actually kind of bad. I mean. And I like yeah. the cast, uh, so I guess Parker, Kathy and Jimmy, and, and um, Bet, I, uh, Bet Midler or whatever. Yeah. And so they're all game, but I just remember this movie being, like, loud and not really fun and just kind of, just a lot of, just a lot of noise, just very noisy and busy, mm-hmm. but not adding up to anything. And it, I mean, this is, uh you know, we were talking about, you know, why doesn't Disney do those mid-range R-rated adult films? Uh, here's the other thing they've also gone away with, and this is probably something we should be happy about, these kind of very uh, kick-and-sink uh, kids' films that, uh, you know, that they don't do anymore either. So there's something to be grateful for that. I thought you were going to say that uh, they've they've done away with the uh, the mid range Bette Midler films, so we should be thankful for. That. <laughs> oh, that was, <laughs> that's true. Well, and then this, I guess this was the first one where she did not have a hit single. I think you maybe did right. not have a ballad. 
Can we not have a closing closing credit ballad to go along with it? No. Wind beneath my brooms or something? <laughs> this <laughs> we talked about this a couple of weeks ago though. That's cute. That's cute. Uh, that's good. Congratulations on that. But we yeah. talked about those okay. Touchstone movies that she made. You know, there was the just the yeah. whole run of those, and I think that may have been Down towards the end. Of... Outrageous Fortune, Beaches, yeah. Stella. I mean, a couple of good ones. Um, yeah. You know. so, well, there are also, I mean, uh, I think Guilty of Sin was a Hollywood picture, which was also Disney. Yeah, like, it was. And, 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 and they're all, they all feel very cookie cutter and very 90s. Yes. Uh, most of the films in their slate. Last movie on July 16th. Why... The... Go ahead. Last movie on July 16th was The Thing the thing Called Love. I don't know. Oh. If Peter Bogdanovich. Uh... Country Western. Isn't that This Thing Musical? Called Love? Yeah, no, that's it. The Thing Called Love. The Thing Called that's Love, it. yeah. Yeah, country western musical. Um, it's not very good. It's the footnote is obviously because it's River Phoenix's last truly completed performance, um, and so it has some curio value because of that. But he's pretty uh, he's pretty sleepy throughout the movie, so it's kind of depressing even on that only on that front. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. I guess the smack was kicking in. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, it, it really, it's, it's true, but it really uh, I, on that yeah. the, the Sam Shepard movie, that Silent Tongue. Uh, mm. That balance pretty the Sam Shepard Indian ghost movie is uh, pretty pretty horrendous. Mm. I didn't realize, realize it was. A, I didn't realize it was an early Sandra Bullock movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sandra Bullock. Ninety three is her year because she's in this Demolition Man. She's always good, and oh, yeah. uh, Wrestling Ernest, Wrestling Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, she's very, she's very funny in in uh, Demolition Man. I remember thinking uh, she, she's good in it. <laughs> okay, All right, moving on. July twenty July twenty third is another stakeout because stakeout <laughs> left you wanting more. Actually, <laughs> I like I like. <laughs> I like steakhouse. This will go on that. This will go as part of that festival. That yeah, it will. About. Yeah, it should. It should. The 4K steakhouse was a hit. Another... <laughs> steakhouse <laughs> was a hit. That, that's a weird thing. Steakhouse was a hit, but no one was clamoring for another steakhouse. No yeah. one was begging for it. It was just, it was something that they thought would be easy to make. Gentlemen, this assignment's confidential. Don't discuss it. Two days ago, the Las Vegas DA and the U.S. Department of Justice asked us to help find a witness who was going to testify against the head of a Chicago crime family. Luella Delano is the witness. Justice had her under protective custody until someone blew up the safe house, killing several agents. How many are several? Three. Somehow she got away. She's made no attempt to contact the Department of Justice or the Las Vegas DA since then. What, no uh, postcard? No. Trial begins next week. The feds are all worked up, apparently. Without Delano, the government has no case. So all leads are being followed, including one which leads here. Phone call Delano made to a number here in Seattle belonging to a Brian and Pam O'Hara. She may be looking to lay low at them. Anybody check the O'Haras? They left for their vacation home on Bainbridge Island two days ago, which makes putting them under surveillance a little tricky. Stakeout. We heard you're good at it. 
stakeout was 87. So if they'd come out with another stakeout like in 88, 89, then maybe that would have made more sense. But 1993, I mean, that's like two presidential cycles later. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's a funny way to put it. I know, John, I think this was really the tech project of John Batum. Like, he really wanted to do this. Um, But to be fair, there is one terrific scene in the movie, and it's the extended kind of dinner sequence where they're trying to fool Dennis Farina and I think it's Kathy Moriarty that they're they're uh, they think that Richard Dreyfus and Rosie O'Donnell are mobsters, but they don't know they're a cop, and so they're trying to so they're having this charade at this dinner, and there's some really funny physical comedy in that one sequence, but it's not enough for to like see a whole movie. And Rosie O'Donnell, this was like. Post League of Their Own, and Rosie O'Donnell was trying to do that film career, and it's just weird casting. Mm. So, All right, so also was, on that day, also on that day is Coneheads. Where, where does that fit in with the SNL movies? <laughs> it's pretty low. It's pretty low there. It's uh, written by Bonnie and Terry Turner, who uh, later mm-hmm. created uh, uh, Third Rock from the Sun and uh, and so Wayne's forth. Wayne's World, of course. Uh, uh, Wayne, well, yeah, they co-wrote Wayne's World, the movie, and also uh, what else did they do? Oh, that 70s show. That's the other thing they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, also written by Tom Davis and Dan Aykroyd. Um Interesting, you know, I mean, interesting to see the litany of uh, cast members in it, but I've never watched it, uh, mm. simply because I just, it just looked too tragic to sit and watch those people. Oh, yeah, just, I couldn't watch it. It's one it. of those deals, the Coneheads worked in, you know, a five-minute sketch. It was a five-minute yeah, sketch. Yeah, exactly. Funny. But... 90 minutes doesn't work. Where Wayne's World or Blues Brothers, you know, there are possibilities when you expand that world. And they did, yeah. they did it quite well. Exactly. Or, uh, Stuart, or Stuart Smalley, another good SNL that's, movie. The Stuart that's, Smalley. that's the best yeah. SNL uh, offshoot movie, I think. Uh, I agree. So Something. When you, you've got to be able to expand the world. And really, there's nothing to expand on, um, on Coneheads. And so it's just kind of, you know, it's one of those movies, you actually could watch five minutes of it and get a laugh, and then that's it, and then change the channel. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, you talk, you talk about presidential cycles passing in between. I mean, the 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 Coneheads was a 70s skit. I remember when it came out thinking to myself, what the hell are they doing? This was the, two decades ago, and that, and that was in 93 I was thinking that, so. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know. Nobody and they were making a big push point. for it. I, I remember, I remember they putting were. up the banners of, of the cone heads and everything in the yeah. theater. And just saw the top of their heads. <laughs> yep. uh, oh yeah, that's right. I remember that now. Yeah. I have a story. I have a charming story about this next movie, Poetic Justice, <laughs> that also came out on July 23rd. July 23rd is a date that will uh, stick in my memory because it was the opening of Poetic Justice. We knew that it would have a big opening weekend crowd, so we put it in our two biggest theaters, and we just uh, synced one print to play through both projectors, uh, so we could fill up, you know, seven to 800 seats per showing. 
And that Friday night, some girls stepped out of the sold-out theater, and some other girls came in and took their seats, not aware that they were already taken, and a riot broke out. And they, they tore out the girl's hair and started punching her, and the entire theater stood up and started chanting and ranting and raving. <laughs> Police walked in there. Police walked in there, and they were like, yeah, we're not getting in the middle of that. Because <laughs> uh, there was literally 300 people. Like they're at a boxing match or something, like standing and yelling and screaming and jumping up and down and beating one another. And so it took about an hour, but we finally got that settled. That was in Theater 6. And then when we got that settled, a girl ran out of Theater 5 and said, there's somebody with a gun in there. And so there was a whole lot. I mean, it was you, – you want to hear horror stories about theater management? I mean, that night was a horror story. And the the ironic thing is the movie was – completely antithetical to that kind of behavior. I mean, it really yeah. was. It was a love story about a poet. <laughs> you know? Yes. But that, those are my, my uh, feelings, my remembrances of that movie that really have nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm a Poetic Justice fan. Um, I think Danny Jackson is really good in it. And it's a great star-making performance uh, by Tupac. Um, and so uh, this suffered from sophomore slump syndrome, his second book syndrome, because obviously there's no way any movie like this was going to be able to live up to Boys in the Hood. But on its own modest terms, I think it's very, very good. So, and another another huge pop hit came from that again, talking about those uh, pop yeah, records. Yeah. That was yep. that was the biggest thing about it, you know, and yeah. that's a, it got it got an Oscar nomination for its song mm-hmm. too. So, yeah. You know what really moved me about it? There's a great scene, and I think they use all of the song. And I was a Stevie Wonder fan, but I'd never heard the song before. But, uh, and I think it's so beautiful. Um, I never dreamed you'd uh, leave in summer. You'd leave last summer, yeah. Yeah. In summer, yeah. Uh, my God, what a gorgeous song. And it's her playing the record and looking at her. Yeah, and it's a good sequence in the movie. I agree. The Stevie Wonder song I adore, I adore the Stevie Wonder song in the closing credits of Jungle Fever. And that's only available in like a box set. That's um, Living Off the Love of the Land or something. Yeah, Um, the one where we see the the lyrics run across the... Yeah, that's another gorgeous song. And then The Woman in Red. (laughs) <laughs> the less said, the better about the long red. <laughs> yeah, I like "Don't Drive Drunk." I mean, that's like uh, a five-minute dance song as a public service announcement. <laughs> hey, yeah. If anyone would know that, about that not, from the woman "Don't Drive Drunk," drunk if anyone would know about not driving drunk, it's Stevie Wonder. <laughs> well, and there's, uh, or, or he could have just stopped it at "Don't Drive." Uh, but there's also uh, he also did that song a love like flight that I think came from Woman in Red and that was a hit I yeah that was it was yeah. top twenty and I just called to say I love you and all that kind of huge gorgeous. he won the Oscar Not a, won the Oscar yeah uh, July twenty eighth is Robin Hood Men in Tights Mel Brooks <laughs> still I still have not seen it. Still, in fact, all of these I have not seen. <laughs> I, I don't even know why I, I'm doing all this show, man. 
<laughs> I've seen most here's of my, them, I, I will admit. Uh, here's no my way. pointed criticism of men in tights. It's better than Prince of Thieves. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, better than and, uh, footnote, Even though it's pretty early, bad. Early Dave Chappelle. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's fun. Um, actually, uh, Men in Tights is uh, it's not bad. It's actually it's probably Mel Brooks's last good movie. Um, it's minor Mel Brooks. It's not as good as Spaceballs. Um, but there's some there is some funny stuff in Men in Tights. When was uh, when was Life Stinks? Ninety uh, one. Okay. Because I like that one a lot. Yeah, it's underrated. Yeah. Yeah. But Men in Tights has some funny stuff in it. Come on, Aaron, sing that song. We're Men in Tights. Carrie Owens, Finest Hour. Mm hmm. July 30th. I don't know what Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me is. It shows, it shows it shows here that it made zero dollars at the box office. I thought that I thought that was an alternate title for one of the uh one of the Bond movies, but I'm not sure. Okay. It could have been. Uh So I Married an Axe Murder, which isn't very good, right? I like it. The only thing I'm gonna cop to it. <laughs> really, you like it, Adam. I, I did. I think it's funny and it has some, some funny uh, pop cultural references. There's a reference to a Night Gallery episode that's very obscure that only I would probably remember that made me laugh, and I was probably the only person in the entire theater laughing at that, uh, besides my sister who knew about it because I had shown her that episode. But, you know, there's a lot of inside jokes like that. But I I don't know. I thought it – I laughed a lot. What can I say? And I watched it again not too long ago and still laugh. So, What happened to Nancy Travis? Travis? Is she on a show anywhere? Uh, she was. She was on. She was on the. Wasn't she on that div, um, kid dancing show? No. Uh, uh, or or whatever. No, where he's a uh, he's a doctor. Becker. Oh. She was Becker. on Becker. Oh, okay. She's the best the thing about I, that I liked about would have been great if his character name had been Pecker. Are you on Pecker? <laughs> <laughs> Did I see you on Pecker last night? <laughs> I I I I liked all the stuff with Mike Myers as his um, Scottish father in makeup. Yes, all yes. that stuff. All that stuff is is very very funny. That's like the best. The stuff with the parents is very very funny. And you kind of wish, why not just do kind of this quirky domestic family comedy mm. and just get rid of that axe murder subplot that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. They just made it like this. Yeah. This kind of quirky rom-com uh, that might have been fun. So, uh, Rising Sun. Here's another uh, unusual uh, drama. This is Michael Crichton, so it's another uh, another best-selling author kind of movie, but um, done in a very uh, outside-the-box fashion. And I think this was Philip Kaufman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Philip Kaufman. This is yeah. clearly they, you know, they had Crichton fever. Uh, <laughs> so obviously Jurassic. Park is a month earlier, and Disclosure is coming up the following year, so Crichton's the man. Um, and so and then Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes are like movie stars, so this is clearly like that adult thriller play in the summer, late summer, like we'll have an adult thriller with adults, like a good mystery, and Philip Kaufman, this guy, he's finally going to have a commercial 
hit because he's everyone loves him, all the critics love him, and he's acclaimed, right stuff, barrel of lightness of being, but he can buy snacks, but he's never had a commercial hit. So we're gonna give him this. And then I it's funny, I just rewatched this movie a few days ago. And it's one of those and I had read the book, uh, it was one of my favorite books as a teenager. Um and it's one of those feels like there is some really good stuff in here, but in the end, Philip Kaufman is probably the wrong guy to do it because the book is so un-PC. Philip Kaufman is so liberal. There's just this tendency to like straighten the book out and try to be more politically correct. And that book and that movie needs to be offensive, and it's not offensive. Um, so that's probably... Connery's really good in it, though. Really, it's a good Connery performance. Just looking at the cast list, uh, the cast list, you know, makes the supporting cast makes me more interested in it. Uh, Ray Wise, uh, Stan Shaw, Tia Carrera, Steve, Steve Buscemi, uh, and Ma- Mako, and <laughs> and Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Oh, the whale from Free Willy. No, no, no. The Japanese actor, of course. The big big star is Tia Carrera. Tia Carrera's in there, man. Yeah, Tia Carrera. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, like I said, and then as a thriller, it's not. It's not a big mystery because the other thing they really they change. They changed the identity of the killer to someone you don't even expect. When, if you read the book, it really is a good whodunit. Um, but they changed it so the movie won't be racist, and it's just kind of bland in the end. All right. Well, August first is uh, the wedding banquet, which is uh, Ang Lee's uh, one of his breakthrough movies, uh, done with James Sheamus and. Uh, uh, I have never seen it, believe it or not. It's a it's a blind spot for me. Uh, I really here. need, to, yeah, I really need to remedy that one day. I'm saving it. Have you seen it, Jamie? I haven't seen it. No, no. I'm uh, curious about it. For a lot of these movies we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, although although this, although, is this is the summer I stopped going to movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although there's a, there's a few really good ones coming up, so uh, so but uh, the wedding banquet is probably worth checking out, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you know, Ang Lee doesn't do. Uh, I I can't. I wasn't a big uh, uh, Life of Pi fan, but other than that, uh, I could respect it. But uh, he he doesn't make bad movies. So, do we know anything about the movie that came out uh, August third called That Night? <laughs> no. And C. Thomas Howell. Who's in it? C. Thomas Howell and who? Helen Shaver. Oh. Oh, gosh. Uh, so, interesting I, cast. Yeah, I, I that that cast is interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's worth checking out. Sounds, yeah, I'm, sounds I'm good. curious now. It's a 1961 coming-of-age story, one of those things. Okay. But uh, it was put out by Warner Brothers, and it looks like it. they kind of dumped it. Well, I mean, it gets it gets a big zero, uh, uh, you know, gross on the on uh, on the chart listing. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's funny. There's a couple of zero grocers on here. So, but um, uh, and I wonder how how does something not gross anything? That's just 
crazy well, I'm, looking, but. I'm looking at the chart listing too, and there's a couple things on here that have zero dollars that that went to video that have been released previously. So maybe that's the case. Like they have oh. for for the beginning here that came out in 1990, but I I think it went to maybe video or something again. I I see. So okay. that could be because that night is actually uh, listed as a 1992 movie, but I, I don't know, but huh. possibly. Okay. Who knows? I always I always wanted to see him play a werewolf. So that we could literally see Thomas Howell. He's <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And I that like a good pun, though. That that would be a good title for a werewolf movie with Tommy Howell that night, wouldn't that be? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. August six was a big one. Uh, yes. Really, uh, you know, kind of like the sleeper, even though it's Harrison Ford. It, Turned out to be this one of the sleepers of the summer because I don't think anybody expected it to be that darn good, and that was the Fugitive, and it was good because it's weird because he never went away, but it felt like at that moment the world rediscovered uh, Tommy Lee Jones from that yeah. movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he uh, well, of course, uh, uh, he had. Uh, had he done the um had he done uh, uh under siege yet uh, yeah was, that was so this was kind of the second salvo of uh you know from under siege you know because of course in under siege he's playing a villain as well uh, mm-hmm. in that one and uh, uh but he's uh, he's he's very good in that movie and uh, I don't know there was just like a resurgence for uh for Tommy Lee Jones at that period and uh, and yeah he's he's one of the major reasons why the fugitive works as well as it does and the other major reason is Andrew Davis who is a uh, uh, directs it magnificently I think and, well he uh, also directed Under Siege I believe yes yeah exactly so uh yeah that's the other connection so uh but yeah nobody expected uh, cuz have have, it, have any of you guys like actually watched even an episode of the fugitive cuz I I've, I've never sat through a full episode of it. I never have, but I know that its influence is far-reaching because, you know, the Incredible Hulk television show was patterned after The Fugitive. Uh-huh. Because the, uh, the Mr. McGee character is, is um, you know, there's that, that, that guy that's always pursuing Dr. Richard Kimball in the uh, original series, and that the, the Mr. McGee, the whole... Um, template of the Incredible Hulk television show was was based upon the Fugitive. That's oh yeah, that that makes that. sense. Now I now yeah. I can see it. But uh, yeah, you know I've uh, I've always been a big Space 1999 fan, and mm-hmm. one of the stars of Space 1999 is Barry Morse, and uh, he's of course the um, the detective that's chasing Richard Kimball in the TV series. So I've always I've kind of wanted to check it out just because of Barry Morse, which Sounds weird, but, <laughs> but he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, I do, I do remember the offer started flowing in for Tommy Lee after that. He built an interesting career uh, before he started directing some stuff. Uh, yeah. He's a great director too, but you know, but uh, Natural Born Killers, and then he did the sequel to The Fugitive, uh, which wasn't mm-hmm. nearly as good, and uh, stuff like Batman. And, uh, anyway, he uh, has turned out to be a very, very great director. By the way, like I thought, uh, very good. Yeah, I thought you were going to say this led to him being cast in Blown Away the following summer. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. The, um, uh, and Harry, and when Tommy Lee Jones was interviewed, he said, "Look, uh, the some of the greatest acting I've ever seen was Harrison Ford in that movie." And he always cited the uh, the scene right before Harrison Ford jumped off the dam when they were confronting one another. And mm-hmm. he said, "I mean, I saw real fear in that man's eyes. Like he he really plays the emotional truth of the of the scene." And Tom, and it was a perfect compliment to Tommy Lee Jones because they're they're both kind of no bullshit actors. You feel, yeah. Um, and and so when Harrison Ford cut the dialogue, that scene was supposed to have heavy dialogue, and Harrison Ford just cut it down. And he said, "All we need in this scene is uh, me saying I didn't kill my wife, and Tommy Lee Jones saying I don't care because that's the meat. <laughs> that, that's the meat of this relationship. We don't need all this dialogue." And he was that's dead it. right. Yeah, absolutely. Right on the money. I forgot Julianne Moore was in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I to- totally forgot about that. But somehow I still remembered that Andreas Katsoulis was in it. It's the, of course, he's the one-armed man. And, um, of course, a lot of people might know him more for uh, Babylon 5, which is now on yeah. Amazon Prime, by the way, <laughs> if, you've yeah. never, if you've never seen Babylon and, 5. And he died fairly young, I think. You know, mm-hmm. attack or something. He's been gone a while. Yep. Yeah, I would know. Oh, that, you got typecast as one-armed men, like from that. <laughs> you know what, what is, What's not present? What's not present in the movie is uh, the real-life person. I mean, it's a real-life event that the fugitive is loosely based on. But uh, the real-life person that had the most publicity and fame from that case, mm. and that is uh, Effie Bailey. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that would that would have been in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, it should have been. He should have been. In That's US what Army. the sequel should have been. Yes, exactly, exactly. F. Lee Bailey. The story of F. Bring F. Lee back Bailey. Nathan Lane to play F. Lee Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Or maybe, maybe I'm back then. Be- yeah, maybe, uh, maybe back then. Maybe, uh, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, what's his name from uh, from Blood Simple? <laughs> Uh, and then the Walsh. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a good. That would have been a good pick. Yeah. 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 Meteor Man also came out that day. <laughs> Ooh, not a big hit. <laughs> not resolutely not a big hit. Has anybody actually watched that? No, it just looked painful. It looked really bad. <laughs> uh, it really did. I, I I feel like Black Panther has taken all of Meteor Man's uh, Meteor Man was twenty five years earlier. Yeah, that's what? true. That's, it, a, that's a Wayne brother, right? A Wayne's brother? Did that I movie? think 
I was thinking it was directed by Robert Townsend. I think it's Townsend. Yeah, and I was gonna say he, you know, with his uh, the the, um, what was his directorial debut? uh, Oh, Hollywood Shuffle. Hollywood Shuffle. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought with that's really pretty funny. Actually, still holds up. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. That's a great movie. And and you wanted more of that sort of thing from him, and he just never quite pulled it off. He never did another. It's really surprising because yeah. Hollywood Shuffle is so wonderful. But uh, uh, even uh, the Five Heartbeats didn't he do the Five Heartbeats too? The yeah, thing yeah, about that's it. decent. That's decent. That's okay, but uh, yeah, there's no. Um, he 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 never really repeated that success, really, no. which is really sad. But uh, but he's he's well, I think he's probably done pretty well. His biggest hit was probably Raw, Eddie, Eddie Murphy's concert. That's song. right, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. He's probably still living on that Raw money. Yeah, which is hitting, <laughs> it's, it's hitting mid, I think. Raw. Uh, Raw, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's hitting miss. There's parts of it that are really funny and parts of it that uh, not so much. But Is that the one where, yes, uh, where Eddie Murphy is talking about the hamburgers that is Mother used yeah. to cook that would be. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty dang funny there. Yeah, that, that that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. I think stuff. it kind of dragged. I, a re- bit I rewatched it last month. Actually, it was on Stars or something. So, yeah, I rewatched it, and I did. I mean, I did. I knew the routines already, so it was mm-hmm. diminishing returns. But uh, it did feel like a nostalgic thing to go back and watch it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It was. It was pleasant. You know, the I'm sitting here looking at the Meteor Man cast, and it's pretty impressive. I mean, Marla Gibbs, Robert Guillaume, uh, Eddie Griffin, uh, James Earl Jones, Don mm-hmm. Cheadle. Uh, Bill Cosby is in it. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. Uh, um, uh, Big Big Daddy Kane, I'm sure they got along. Uh, Frank Gorshin, Sinbad. Uh, that's uh, Nancy Wilson. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. So uh, that's that's a pretty interesting cast. It makes me kind of want to watch it. No, it should have been. Uh, they should have had a musical sequence where Bill Cosby could uh, do Funky Cold Medina. You <laughs> <laughs> could have done it in that voice. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they, <laughs> now, now, knowing what we know, that would have been perfect. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to put Meteor day. Man on my list. <laughs> okay. Well, if we've accomplished nothing else, <laughs> Maybe we've rec- recruited a new fan of Meteor Man. Yeah. There we go. Uh, All hope is My all boyfriend's all. back also came out on that day. Ay, ay, ay. Now, what was that? Was he a vampire or something like that? Or uh, what was? what's the story there? Oh. Philip Seymour Hoffman was in it. <laughs> and 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 Matthew McConaughey played guy number two. <laughs> guy number two. Yeah. And Bob Balaban directed it, so let's not forget that. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, he comes back somebody, from the dead. That's right. Up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he comes back from the dead. I knew there was like a horror element to it. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah um, it's a Disney thing. You just don't think of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Disney, but uh, I guess that was one of those times. Wow, it's got a hell of an interesting. Yeah. It too well, has a hell of an interesting cast with um, 
uh, of course, you mentioned Philip Seymour Hoffman, but also Paul Dooley, uh, Austin Pendleton, um, yeah. uh, Mary Beth Hurt, uh, uh, Edward Herman, and uh, Matt uh, pre uh, lost Matthew Fox. So, uh, yes. uh, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, maybe. Maybe that'd be worth a check out, too. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a double bill of Meteor Man and uh, My Boyfriend's Back, released on the yeah. same day. And Renee yeah. Zellweger you know, early. Oh. oh, wow. That would be a, yeah, it's interesting. It must have been a Texas production because if it has Zellweger and McConaughey in cameos. Yeah. 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 You're probably um, right. You know, we we should do a show just about movies uh, named after popular 50s and 60s pop songs. <laughs> that that would be an endless <laughs> list. The infamous Purple People Eater starring Ned Beatty. Uh, oh, one. God. <laughs> wow. I haven't thought about that since my video store days. Wow. That's <laughs> nuts. August 11th. You guys ready for this? Yes. Let's do it. Now, now c- clear this up for me because it says here Psycho Four, the beginning. <laughs> I rem- I thought that this was like made for Showtime, but it, it was, was a theatrical it, release. Uh, no, that that's incorrect. I think it came out on video. It was a re- reissue on video in '93, not a theatrical reissue. So yeah, it, it okay. was broadcast in November of '90 because I remember watching it specifically. So yeah, that's incorrect. So. And what were your impressions of it? I think it's actually not bad. Um, I, it's it's surprisingly um, uh, decent. Is it like Norman as a kid or something? No, no, it's, no. it's Anthony Perkins. He's it calling really, into a talk show. Yeah, to uh, talk about his yeah, childhood. That's all you yeah, need to is, know. Guess, Norman but. Bates call Norman Bates calling into a talk show. <laughs> who did? Who didn't want to see it's, that psycho movie? It sounds like uh, the beginning of a comedy skit. In 1960, Alfred Hitchcock created a film that is perhaps the most terrifying thriller of all time. Psycho. Now, come answers to the questions audiences have been asking for over 30 years. Psycho 4. The Beginning. This is Brian Ambrose on KTK, Talk of the Town. I call because the focus of your show tonight is what makes boys kill their mothers. Are you saying you killed your mother? I killed some other women, too. You want to tell us about your mother, uh, how she drove you to become what you became? She'd be sweet one moment, and then she'd suddenly turn mean. Don't you have any respect for the dead? How did it all start? What are you doing here? We're gonna wake up your mother. Kill her. I can't, no. Then I'll do it for you. What makes Norman Bates kill? Look at yourself, boy. Ha, girl. Yes, girl. Mama's little girl. How'd you kill your mother? Henry Thomas plays him as a young guy, and I think like yeah. something like Olivia Hussey plays his mother or something. Uh-huh. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, she does a good uh, job as Mrs. Bates. Actually, she's it's pretty creepy. I I don't know. It's it's not terrible. It's you know I'll say that you could do a lot worse. Who's the director on that? That's Mick Garris. Okay. 
hack director. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Sorry. There's some stylish touches in there, I think. Plus, they use the old Bernard Herman score. They rework it instead of using having a new composer come in. They they rework the old Bernard Herman themes. Well, that was live. Yeah. So it's and it's written by uh, Joseph Stefano, who wrote the original Psycho. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I like right. the other on movie the, on this day yeah. a lot better. Yeah, me too. <laughs> on that, me on too. that day is my is my favorite movie of that summer, probably, which is Searching for Bobby Fischer. Man, yes. I'm telling you, this for me is a pretty damn perfect movie, and it's a it's a weepy movie for me. Like I just, <laughs> I just weep and weep and weep. Those are your favorite today. kind of movies, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. It's, not, it's, not an, it's not an insulting sentimental kind of weepy uh you know and not in an insulting way yeah you're not right manipulative you don't, you don't feel it you know manipulating you i think it's yeah. very truthful that way. yeah it is and it's complex uh there's there's a serious complexity in it and uh it almost feels like a, a novel on film uh in some ways uh but um uh of course it was oscar nominated for its um for its Conrad Hall cinematography, which uh, completely deserved, and uh, and uh, it's a, it's a good movie. It's a, uh, you know really really good cast and uh, unusual story, and uh, you know what can you say? It's one of the best movies of that summer, I would say. Mm-hmm. Although resolutely not what we think of as a summer movie. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, yeah the, kid, the kid is great. Uh, yeah. Joe Montana uh, gets to play. You know, a, a regular father type. He's not fucking people over in a mammoth. Uh, <laughs> in a mammoth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a really really skillfully made movie, and uh, uh, maybe not one that I would return to again anytime soon. But uh, but but very good for that first time at least. Yeah, and it's uh, thirteenth. Oh, I'm sorry, Adam. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say he was written and directed by Steve Zalian, who later penned yeah. the script for Schindler's List. So later yep. that year, mm-hmm. and he yeah. and he co-wrote uh, the new Scorsese too. Steve Zalian. Yes, that is, is like, true. Yes, he's uh, he's he, he's up there with like uh, I don't know people like Eric Roth. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. He's like the prime the prime screenwriter. Like, uh, but uh, he's also doctored a lot of scripts, probably mm-hmm. without credit. I mean, yeah. There's a whole underground screenwriting reality that most of us aren't privy to because, you know, you'll hear from somebody like John Sales, oh, yeah, I, I doctored that script, didn't get credit for it, but I got paid for it. And yeah. It's like, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. lots of instances of that. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I think all that stuff is fascinating. Has anybody ever written a book about that? You know that particular thing, the 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 you know sort of the secret lives of screenwriters or whatever. You know, like mm. uh, I think that would be an interesting book. It would be, yeah. <clears throat> and sometimes you could tell what they're going after. Like it, you'll bring in Steve Zalian for maybe you know plot mechanics or character or something like that. You'll bring in Aaron Sorkin to punch up the dialogue. You'll bring in this person because he specializes in this and blah blah blah, and pretty soon you have four screenwriters. Yeah. Like something like Hannibal. Hannibal has four screenwriters. It's got <laughs> Galeon, it's got David Mamet, it's got 
two other ones. I forget who the two other ones were, but it's ridiculous. Talk about too many cooks. Yeah. But you know they bring them in for their own kind of, you work on this part, you work on this part because you're good at this. Um, you know, it's not, they don't write the whole thing. And plus, plus they're working, they're, they're sort of, you know, so, uh, like you get the sense with that particular project that you're mentioning that there was probably a lot of deadline pressure, you know, to mm-hmm. get it out by a certain date and uh, and so forth. And, um, uh, and it kind of shows in the movie. It's But, um, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so on to the next okay. movie. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the next movie is, uh, is Hearts and Souls, Heart and Souls, sorry, and, uh, 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 well, to give the INDB thing, uh, businessman is reunited with the four lost souls who were his guardian, guardian angels during childhood, uh, with, uh, Robert Downey Jr. in the lead, this is the kind of movie that Robert Downey Jr. doesn't do anymore, um, and, uh, Charles Grodin. As one of the souls, I guess Alfred Woodard, uh, Kira Sedgwick, and Tom Sizemore, and another guy that's not really working anymore, uh, uh, not in movies like this at least. Uh, but good cast, uh, you know, David Paymer, Leslie Shue, uh, uh, can't complain with the cast, but uh, uh, it's probably not yeah, good. I want, I, want a, I want a heartwarming romantic comedy. Look, give Tom Sizemore a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll be perfect as the as the scrappy scrappy dad in the movie or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh but uh yeah, I've never seen it, so I have. I've you have it. Yeah, I saw I saw, I saw it when it came out. Yeah. Huh. It's uh I, I, I remember I got, got the ticket stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can totally understand why you would keep that. Uh I remember when it came out, it got good reviews, and that's why I went to see it because the word the word was fairly positive, and I know it was Ron Underwood, I believe, who directed it. He would, was fresh off his success of uh, with uh, the original um, City Slickers. Oh, so I, I I went and I thought it was perfectly fine. Um, it's you know those actors are are enjoyable enough, and I I you know it was it was fine. <laughs> Aaron, I got you on the line. I got you on the line, Aaron. But first, I just wanted to say, uh, I remember that most of the reviews of, of Heart and Souls was just about how like charming leading man Robert Downey Jr. was. Yes, because yes. it was already it was already publicized how troubled he was. Uh, yeah. But so so this was like a softer side of uh, Downey Jr. that impressed a lot of critics, and he was yep. a charming screen presence uh, when when he had those. Roles to do. I, I, I remember it opened with another one of those velvety, like Nat King Cole kind of songs. Oh yeah, uh, it did. I, did. I, I don't remember much about it, but I, I remember that I I thought it was like a a movie. It felt like a warm fart. I mean, it, there wasn't much to it. <laughs> <laughs> that I, that I, would go on the poster if I. <laughs> I think I a, feels I like a, a warm fan. fart. I was a big fan of that movie. Um, I think it's actually a really good movie, and uh, it's a very—it's the kind of movie you don't make anymore. It's a very light, frothy entertainment. And um, there is—I—I I haven't seen it in years, but to, to show you what an indelible impression it's kind of made on at least one sequence is there is a sequence because the whole thing is 
the kid had imaginary friends. He had imaginary friends, a little boy, and then they, but he was getting in trouble because no one believed he had imaginary friends. So uh, they decided to leave him to, so he wouldn't get in trouble. But they stick around. They, they just look over him. And so now he's an adult, and they need to, they need to, these imaginary, these, these, these souls, they need to make amends of something they did wrong or before they can go to heaven. And so down, they, re, they reappear in Danny's life. He's now like a corporate, cold corporate raider, and they have to use him as a vessel to, to, to get, do one last To story. get to their destination, yes. Yes, mm. and there is, I remember there is one sequence involving a boardroom meeting, and Downey does some physical comedy in that sequence uh, that rivals, because remember, this is just coming off of Chaplin, mm-hmm. and it rivals anything he does in Chaplin, and I do remember that one sequence, I could not catch my breath. The whole audience I saw it in could not catch their breath laughing. Ah. And one sequence. Uh, involving a boardroom, um, it was a it's a kid. If you, I mean, the analogous uh, sequence is kind of uh, DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street, right? Uh, when he's on the Quaalude, that kind of that amazing sequence. Uh, Downey has has a similar sequence in Hearts and Souls. Heart and Souls. I remember that. It's, it's, I wish. Uh, I wish. I wish Danny would go back and do more comedies because he's very effective at that, and uh, it seems like it's uh, it's kind of a, a genre that he's kind of abdicated a little bit. Um, well, he just doesn't seem to be in very many movies except superhero movies now. But um, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I I think he's a very effective co- comic actor, uh, and yeah, he's good. I like I liked him in Ch- uh, Chef. I guess that was the last sort of. Comedic yeah, Chef is good. Yeah. Uh, he had done, he, he done these kind of things. He had shown inklings of this before. There was a movie from 1989 that no one talks about called Chances Are. Oh, yeah, that's uh, good. That's good. With the hand. Oh, and, maybe, uh, maybe that's, the, that's the Nat King Cole thing that I'm thinking of is Chances Sib- Are. Sybil yeah. Shepard. Uh, uh, I guess they, would, they would use the uh, the Johnny Mathis. Uh, Johnny Mathis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, that's a, and, oh, and okay. actually, Chances Are has... Some superficial similarities to Heart and Soul. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Resolutely girl, not the same you thing. You want to make out with a girl in 1954. You could choose either yeah. one of them. Yeah. Well, that's true. So he, he, does, he does really good with physical um, comedy. And um, like, I said, like I said, he was coming off of Chaplin. And so he does this. And I guess... This was going to be his more bankable. This was going to be his hit, his summer hit coming off the Oscar, yeah. you know, contender, and it just didn't, uh, it just didn't uh, connect. And Sizemore, you know, Chaplin Chaplin Sizemore, is just Sizemore. weird. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's got mean, a great performance with a lot of weird stuff around it. With yeah, a great performance with uh, the wrong director. And mm. when you think like. Who's going to compose our uh, compose the music for our film Chapman? You don't necessarily think of John Barry. I like the score; it's beautiful to listen to, isolated. But I mean, he does really kind of haunting, sweeping, romantic scores, and uh, yeah, it doesn't need it doesn't need. He, he's not known for his lightness of touch. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> that is very true. 
Okay, oh, has anybody seen Jason Goes to Hell, the the final no. Friday, which, of course, it wasn't the final Friday. There was many, a few more, but... Uh, uh, I saw the opening, like, sequence on HBO the following summer, like, at 2 in the morning before I went to bed, and I was like, that's when they... Um, they blow him up, I think, at a football field, football stadium. And oh, yeah. I saw then, that, too. So that's kind, of, that's kind of cool. And then, like, they take his body to the coroner, a medical examiner, and then uh, I think the medical examiner eats his heart. And at that point, I was like, you know, I'm going to go to bed. They um, should have made it so that the heart goes on a, on a, on a killing spree. <laughs> be a killer, I mean, uh, killer wandering heart. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I mean... It wasn't as good. I mean, and I, I don't say this glibly. You know, I actually kind of enjoy chunks of um, uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. There's some fun stuff in that one. So this is kind of a, a letdown. So I I have uh, a kind of a perverse desire, very perverse, to see uh, Jason Goes to Space or whatever that one was. Yeah, Just, oh, Jason X. <laughs> oh, it terrible. is. No. Uh, yeah, even terrible. just with the art direction and stuff. Admit, I... <laughs> you admit, Adam. Adam. The, yeah. it, Jason X has has probably the best death scene in all of Friday the Thirteenth. There's ah. there's two truly great death scenes in the Friday the Thirteenth series. One is the the chick in the sleeping bag that he slams against the tree. Oh yeah, that yeah. that was a that was effective. That was uh, disturbing. Yeah. And then Jason X is dipping the guy's head and like. Uh, nitrate or the liquid nitrate. Oh, and oh, shattering yeah, it. Good. Yeah, that was good. Yes, yes, yes. I'd yeah. About it. yeah. I remember uh, which one is the one where he, um, where Jason kills the guy by embedding a uh, roller skate in his head or an ice skate in his head or something. But it's not an ice skate. You know that would make sense. It's like a rollerblade skate <laughs> that oh, he embeds in his head. And I was like, what? How did he do? That? I remember that. And don't forget, Jason, Jason X has the most inexplicable cameo in movie history. <laughs> wow, what David, is that? David Cronenberg shows up. It's true. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So, like, I think two minutes. Yeah. Uh, David Cronenberg is in Jason X. I think, I can't remember, He's a friend. he was a friend of the producer or the writer. I can't remember what it was. And mm-hmm. so he did a cameo in Jason X. <laughs> Huh. Well, well now no, it, is, it is the most prestigious of all of them, just by by virtue of his one minute cameo. Yes. Yeah. Well, now Jason right. goes to hell is worth mentioning for one thing, and that is because this was the when Paramount had no faith in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, they sold off the rights to New Line Cinema, and so this was New Line's attempt to get the Friday the Thirteenth franchise back on track to you know being a money maker which did, didn't pay off very well for them but but it is interesting that Paramount had totally lost faith and and they were the only and New Line was the only ones that were willing to take a chance so have yeah, they rebooted we're back, to, uh, we're back there with them saying we're done with Friday 13th like we're not going to yeah. do anything else with Friday 13th yeah. oh yeah. so they have not to they haven't rebooted it or anything like that. I, they, I don't pay attention. So, well, they did. They did a remake, and then they were gonna reboot it uh, last year or this year. And then they they had such terrible box office with the third Rings film that 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 put the death nail 
Oh. Uh, that sounded the death knell. They they because Paramount had the rights to it. They had it had reverted back to Paramount, and they were going to do it, and then nope. Oh wow. And then there was there was talk of a redoing a TV show. Yeah. Um, there's also there's been talk, of course, everything's all about the origin story. So there's talk of like, oh. okay, let's go back to when Jason was the kid at camp. Uh, so there's been talk of that. I do know also. I think there's also an attempt at a video game. Mm-hmm. And like trying it that way, so they just haven't. I my and then, my then, they, then they have a then they have a version where Jason Voorhees calls into a talk radio show <laughs> <laughs> to tie back into Psycho I, Four. I will, <laughs> yeah, I will, I will bet any money that if the Halloween uh, yes sequel whatever you call it to you're the right game, they will fast track. They're like, okay, we'll do that with Friday Thirteenth. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. That's, that's what will happen. They're, so they're they're waiting and seeing what how Halloween does. And just going by the Halloween trailer, I think the Halloween will be a hit. At least yes. it'll be a, a hit for two weekends. And if it's yes. good, it actually might be a big, a big hit. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I agree. All right, August thirteenth. Mm-hmm. Also on that day was the Secret Garden, which is very good. Uh, uh, if you've never seen it, it's uh, Esther Holland. Esther yeah. Holland had like some good. I mean, she had a good run there. I mean, because the Europa, Europa, two summers earlier, and then she got the American treatment with Secret Garden, and then I think two years later she did the um, the Rambo biopic, Total Eclipse, with the. Uh, oh yeah, DiCaprio. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. We we got full frontal DiCaprio, and, and then. Um, now she's doing a lot of te- television stuff. Yeah, she's gone on. She's gone on the TV route, but that's uh, that's good. Have you good. ever I, noticed this? This is a good. This is a total aside. But if you ever notice that when Oliver Stone talks about bad war movies, he always brings up Rambo, but he pronounces it Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy! I never do that. Yeah. Why would I mean, you do that? <laughs> I think he just wants to be uh, phonetically uh, accurate to the origin of John Rambo's name. Oh, yeah, okay. His French heritage. Yeah, his his French heritage. (laughs) Hey, John Rambo, he lived a season in hell. It just happened to be a lifetime. <laughs> well, I have to say this Secret Garden movie is uh is really really well done. Uh it's beautifully designed. Uh you know, uh it's based on the classic story and uh it's actually, you know, it was been it was made as a movie back in the 40s. Um so I guess in a way it's a remake, but um uh yeah, it's it's really really lush and uh very green. And uh, as you would expect, since it's taking place in a secret garden, uh, but uh, it's it's really beautiful to look at. I I like it a lot. I will say that uh, it wasn't a big hit, but the, the one the movie that I liked that is obviously inspired came out two years later, uh, and I think it's even a better film is that Little Princess. Oh yeah, yeah. I like I like I love that movie. Fantasy yeah. uh, film, but this yeah. is really good, and this is a. Um, I remember correctly, Coppola. I don't know if he is he the producer. Or He's the producer. Yeah. 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 So that was always an interesting. Also, interestingly, shot shot beautifully by Roger Deakins, everybody's favorite cinematographer, and uh, and also uh, I I don't remember the score, 
but I do like the guy who did the score is Big New Prisoner who did all of the, uh, uh, you know, re- uh, Three Colors Red, Three Colors Blue, that mm-hmm. whole trilogy, oh, and okay. he's great. So I like his score Rick- for uh, Louis Bell's, uh Damage, the Jeremy Irons oh, yeah. Julian Binoche sex movie. Yeah. Oh, and he also did uh, When a Man Loves a Woman. I like that score, too. I don't uh, I don't remember the score to that, but I, I remember liking that movie. So No, I do too. Yeah. Uh, Meg Ryan is an alcoholic. It's not it's not to love about it. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. she's very effective. Oh wow. Our our next movie is one of my favorite maybe my favorite movie of the entire summer, actually. Uh August eighteenth. <laughs> August eighteenth. <18th. laughs> uh August eighteenth brought us Manhattan Murder Mystery uh, from uh, from Woody Allen, of course, and reuniting yes. him with uh, Diane Keaton. And uh, yes. boy, is that a great movie! It is a great movie. Uh, I know the, the famous story or the, the the gossip story that he's like he's in the middle of like pressing charges and allegations, and uh, she shows up for her wardrobe fitting. Mia oh yeah, yeah. When Woody when Pharaoh was still uh, was still <laughs> going to be in it or whatever, or she yeah. thought she was going to be in it, and she shows she up. <laughs> He's like, "What are you pretty. doing?" <laughs> I'm here for the for my wardrobe pretty for the movie, and he's like, "You're fired." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. Uh, but uh, Manhattan Murder Mystery is so fun. How funny is uh, Diane Keaton in that movie? It's just a joy to see her in it. And um, and then, uh, well, what I love about it is, is, is that it's a it's a fun light mystery, but it's actually uh, I feel one of the best depictions of a healthy marriage in yes. film history. I agree. And, uh, and what's what's amazing about it, no one ever points it out. It's the it might be the one Woody Allen film that I can think of off the top of my head where the couple are still a good couple at the end of the movie. Oh yeah. The movie. That's so, true. That was I remember thinking that was kind of refreshing about it. Uh, that was a refreshing change, you know, that it doesn't end it doesn't have, you know, kind of a downbeat uh, And they're uh, and they're a stronger couple by the end of it too. But the, yeah. But I mean, the the great joy of that movie is the the interplay uh, between the two of them because it just it feels so organic and comfortable and playful. It does. Like they've got they've got their rhythms just down as a duo, um, and uh, and it it's honestly uh, there are honest moments of suspense in the movie. Yes. So yes. The, I was going to say the ending, that. the ending. Yeah, the ending doesn't pay off very well. Uh, from an execution standpoint, but uh, but there are moments in that movie, like when the lights go out in the elevator, it, it, where you're like, oh, holy shit! I feel yeah. a little thrilled, thrilled by Woody Allen. <laughs> Woody Allen. And uh, of course, Jerry Adler is in it. Uh, you know, you might people might remember him. You know, if they watch it, uh, they might remember him from being in The Sopranos, uh, which he was in. You know, later on in the decade, but um, playing Hesh, the uh, the Jewish friend of uh, the old uh, Jewish friend of uh, Tony's. Uh, but uh, 
but he's he's very good at it too, and uh, lots of interesting you know uh, character actors, you know like Ron Rifkin and and Joy Behar. I forgot she was in it, and uh, Alan Alda, of course. Uh, uh, well, Alda and, and Angelica Houston they riff really nicely with there there at least there are two sequences where the four of them are like kind of at a doing the late night dinner. Yes. And those sequences have real snap to them, the way they all, the four of them just kind of bounce off, uh, bounce off each, each other. And um, this is, uh, this, this was the second Woody Allen movie I saw in a theater. I, I went, I remember I went, I did just see Husbands and Wives, like everyone else. That was my first theatrical Woody Allen. And then this was the, this is when I started seeing every Woody Allen movie. In a theater, so this was my first like foray to like becoming a Woody Allen fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, this is worth mentioning about it too. It's also a re- reunion between Allen and Marshall Brickman, who wrote uh, mm-hmm. Annie Hall and and Manhattan together. Uh, so, uh, so that's uh, that's probably goes a long way to uh, explaining kind of its uh, sort of freshness because it's probably. The first time Woody Allen is c- collaborating with someone uh, in many in a decade or two, uh, so um, uh, so I think that probably explains some of that. But uh, I, you know, really, really, well, I think it's one of his one of his best movies. I think. What's the matter, Larry? Come with me, okay? Oh, Jesus! Come on. I was fast asleep. I, I was dreaming of round card girls. Okay. Oh, oh it looks oh. like he's gone. Yeah. <sighs> Oh, yeah, Christ, gone. not that again. Listen, Larry, Please. I want no. to take another look around his apartment. Yeah. What are you talking about? Where are you going? Listen, he'll never be back, Larry. What? what? No, he's not what coming you? back, not for at least an hour. What'd you do? You got his key? Yeah. You're kidding. What are you talking about? You can't do Why? Because you, you followed him to the movie house. You, you said there was nothing happening. No, wait a minute. No, he was with this young model type, and they were talking about money. Well, so what? So that's, that's a not... motive. What? Hey, listen to me. Come what here. What are you talking come about? Here. Wait a minute. Come, come here. here. Look, what do you look, mean, I've been thinking about you. What I you think mean? you got to see. You. I got. You, you got to go back to your shrink. Huh? I want you to see Dr. Ballard again. Larry, I'm I went s- for two years. Yeah, I know. Just but you, come, you know how come General on. Motors will recall defective cars. You got to go in for two now. You got five minutes. No, no. Five, I, only... I'm telling you, I'm your husband. I command you to sleep. Well, well, sleep. I, no, I command it. I command it. Larry, all I can tell you is, if this had been a few years ago, you would have been doing the same thing. Because if you recall. We solved the mystery. Yep, we solved the mystery once. Remember, it was yes. the it was the noises in the attic mystery. The country house, the bluebird. I that's know, right. but that so, was a sweet mystery. This is this, murder. What? The, you agree, right? No, it's I murder, Larry. Look, no, no, I forbid you. I forbid you to go. It's, I, I'm forbidding. Is that what you do when I forbid you? At Allen's '90s run, from basically '92 to the to about 2000, uh, represents possibly as a filmmaker. Uh, and we can argue about Annie Hall and, and Manhattan maybe being better movies or a couple of movies in the 80s. But I would say that 92 to 2000 run is his best uh, stretch as just a pure filmmaker. From uh, I, Husband and Wives to, to, uh, to uh, 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 Small Time Crooks. Yeah, I, I would I would go with the seventies stuff over that stuff, but uh, but because uh, I feel like I feel like um, after after Manhattan Murder Mystery, there's a steep decline in quality, and uh, and it, it gets very spotty. Like one one will be really good, and the next one won't be. So, uh, but uh, 
to me, his his run will always be, you know, from uh, particularly from Annie Hall all the way to Crimes and Misdemeanors. I would say that's almost a completely unbroken run of great movies. So, well, I'm a big fan of Everyone Says I Love You. I think that's terrific. Per- personally, Everyone Says I Love You. Yeah. Everyone Says I Love You. Deconstructive yes. Harry. Uh, Both yes. are Broadway. Mighty Aphrodite. I mean, that's back. Those are good movies. No question about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Deconstructing Harry is kind of hard for me to watch for some reason. I love it. I'm with you on that one. I love it too. That's his, that's his Philip Roth uh, bad boy confessional movie. I guess so. I guess you're right. Okay. Yeah, I, I just I, I, I've always laughed my ass off of small time crooks. I, I like it when it is they funny. hire they hire uh, Hugh Grant to, te- to teach them about culture. And so. <laughs> Tracy Ullman has all these requests about food and home furnishings and all the artwork and all that kind of stuff. And Woody Allen says, I just want to learn how to spell Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. Uh, August 20th is uh, The Ballad of Little Joe. Good good little feminist western. The feminist western with the... Uh, I think it's Amanda Plummer. No, it's uh, Su- Susie Amos who ended up Susie marrying uh, Susie marrying Christopher Plummer or Ian McKellen. It's, it's Ian McKellen, right? Yeah, there are no plumbers. In the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they didn't have plumbing in the old west. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The guy in the uh, old west. So it's this feminist. She's posing as a guy in the old west. Uh, it's the only way she it. feels like she can survive, you know, because she's right. she's out there. She's out there, you know, uh, getting threatened because right. she is a woman uh, mm-hmm. out there. So she she uh, and I think it, it is it not based on a true story or uh, or something. Uh, I think so. And, I think uh, it is. Ian McKellen is playing a closeted uh, cowboy, basically. Mm-hmm. So and be straight, and um, they're also there's like a their their third member of their of their family is like uh, I think he's a Chinese uh, shoemaker or something. So it's these three basic societal outcasts kind of all uh, hiding in plain sight. Um, so it's a good little lesson like that. Maggie Greenwald is the writer director. She's moved on to television, like many. Uh, right. Directors from that era, and uh, but uh, many female directors from that era. Yeah, many female directors, but also a lot of male ones. So, but uh, uh, yeah, um, uh, it's good. It's it's really good. It was her her breakthrough uh, movie, so uh, it's mm-hmm. it's top notch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also on that day, hang on, I gotta get my tablet. Okay. Hard target. Okay, this is hard target. John John Wu doing John Claude, or, or the other way around, rather. Uh, you know, acrobats on motorcycles and the whole nine yards. This was yeah. his uh, American English language debut. Uh, so I remember a lot of a lot of the critics were impressed with just how ridiculous the action was. I mean, because like it was. John Claude is like. Doing these like amazing point blank shootings while standing on top of a moving moving motorcycle. Uh, so I mean it looks cool, but it's ridiculous. Uh, 
been like uh, I think the villains are um, Lance Henriksen and Wilfred Brimley. And <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's, a, it's a take yeah. on um, the most dangerous game where you know, yeah. they they paid a hunt a hunter guy. Um, so I mean the action's cool, but it's not the uh, it's not top tier Van Damme. It's not Time Cop or Sudden Death. And, um, when, when did the Surviving the Game come out with Ice-T, uh, which was, was also a... That was the following spring, like that April. And that's yeah, actually that's a right. better that's a better version of the same story. Right, uh, right. It's a little more disreputable, but it just, it's just more found. It's just a little more uh, meat and potatoes. Yeah, uh, it is. It, it's it's kind of a um, it's it's uh, well, I mean, as it should be, it's largely an unpleasant movie, but it's got a really good cast and uh, uh, so it's just uh, lean and mean. That yeah, lean and mean. I agree. Where this this mm-hmm. one's a little, uh, you know, you're kind of just waiting for the action set pieces. Yeah. In between, it's just a little. And of course, who can who can forget the Osterman the Osterman weekend? Now, what was the? <laughs> I I think just recently. I saw the original uh, version of the most dangerous game with the actor that the the, his face was paralyzed. Char- um, not Charles Lawton. No, um, Levon or it was an actor having Lee his face was paralyzed. Okay, it, it was it was it was made in the thirties or thirties. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and they got they got shipwrecked at this castle, and there are other people at the castle, and then he hunted them all. The next morning, through the grounds, it's uh, right. God, I, I can't remember if it was called the most dangerous game. It was on TCM, and I watched it. Was, it. it is. Yeah, that's from the guys title. that made King Kong. Yeah, the original King yeah. Kong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I prefer, yeah. As far as John Woo goes, I might prefer Broken Arrow and Face Off. Oh Those yeah, of course. Face Off is a movie that works despite itself. Like it, it's something that should not work at all, but uh, it's just so outlandish that it becomes really fun. Uh, so, well, Face Off is a classic example of something me and Jamie talk about. Of that, uh, if the movie believes it, you'll believe it. That, so that movie, yeah. it buys that premise, and so you'll accept the premise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also on that day, it is another movie that seems like it should have been John Woo's American debut. It's called Surf Ninjas. Well, you mentioned uh, Neil Neil Israel last week, Dean. Well, this one was directed by Neil Israel. So. Oh wow! <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, uh, so I. Uh, I saw everything usually, but I, I managed to skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> Just the title did not pull you in, Aaron. No, I mean I much prefer uh, Surf Nazis Must Die. <laughs> I I have to admit I'd rather watch that movie too. I fully okay, expected so, you, Aaron, to say to say Surf Ninjas. I will defend Surf Ninjas. My <laughs> <laughs> dying breath. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. at least it has Tone Loke in it. What can you do? <laughs> I think that's the first time that, that sentence has ever been uttered by humanity. <laughs> I, think, uh, 
He should. He should. He should have changed his name to Tone Deaf for that movie. <laughs> Michael Mann was channel surfing one day and came across Surf Ninjas and said, "You know, I'm going to put that guy as a as an informant in my movie Heat." <laughs> oh, I forgot he was in Heat. Yeah, he's fat. Uh, yeah, everybody's yeah. good in that movie. Okay, so on August 25th, we have uh, this is a film that I still have not seen, uh, but it's Mel Gibson's The Man Without a Face, uh, where he he's the he's the disfigured uh, next door neighbor to a kid, and the kid uh, kid and he become friends. Uh, I don't know. Is it more complex than that? It is. It's actually very good. Um, it's an impressive. I mean, if you if you go back to 1983, it was quite an impressive directorial debut, considering this was coming off of like Lethal Weapon 2. Um, I think he was coming off of. So you know, he had, had that moment in 1990 where he was trying to prove himself with, um, you know, with Hamlet. Oh sure. Uh, and, he, and he done quite well with that, but then he went back and, you know, he went back to his roots with, you know, stuff like uh, you know, Bird on a Wire and then, like I said, Lethal Weapon 2 and I forget, I think he might have had something else in between, I can't remember but then he uh, he does this as uh, as his directorial debut and it's a very uh, it's a very con- con- confident piece of filmmaking and storytelling and it's quite thoughtful and he works well with the kids uh, the young actors, Nick Stahl is really good in it in his like debut. Well, 1993 is like a banner year for child actors. Uh, it's kind of one of those landmark years. It's like DiCaprio and the kid from Bobby Fischer and uh, a few other movies. And King uh, of the Hill. The King of the Hill, yeah. That's a good one. And then, uh, you know, and so forth. Uh, Joseph Mandelo and Shadowlands and all that stuff. And so, but yeah, Nick Stahl is really good. In a man without a face, um, the one the interesting footnote. So the kid wants to go to a, a military school. He doesn't like his home life. His mother is dating a guy. She's gonna get remarried. His older sister is kind of a, is mean to him. Uh, no one really. He doesn't have that many friends, and so he wants to go to a military academy. And it's like sixty four, sixty five, I think. He wants to go to a military academy. Uh, uh, Mel Gibson lives on on the island across town. He's kind of a hermit, disfigured from a car accident. He used to be a, a top professor at a military academy, so the kid wants him to tutor him so he can take the tests to get into the um, into the uh, academy. And so he teaches him, you know, uh, he teaches him like math and the stuff you have to learn: math, trigonometry, and literature, and all that stuff. And uh, the one, uh, I guess you could say, interesting footnote is that there's a sequence where he's teaching him Shakespeare. And, you know, so he, he teaches him about Shakespeare. And the play that they're they're learning from is uh, Merchant of Venice. Um, which, if we all know Merchant oh, yeah. of Venice, Mel Gibson uh, quoting from Merchant of Venice uh, is now it's a little ironic. Mm. Um because he actually does uh, do the monologue of Shylock. From okay. Wow. So, Are yeah. they not responsible for all the wars? 
<laughs> kind of rewrites it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a good it's a good modest little movie, and I find it interesting that Bell Gibson chose a little movie to start his directing career because he wanted to kind of dip his toe in, and then immediately he goes into some of the most complicated, uh, ambitious movies you could think of with stuff like yeah. Braveheart, Passion, and Apocalypto, especially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still think Apocalypto is his best best movie as a director. Uh, yeah, easily. Think about man without a man without a challenging that had to been. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. What uh, what's interesting about man out of face, and I guess with some critics kind of wrapped its knuckles against it. Now it kind of doesn't matter, but when it came out, it was only coming out of maybe six months after Sin of a Woman. Um, oh right. And so there was a lot of uh, a lot of reviews were comparing and contrasting the two, mm. uh, which is fair or unfair. I mean, Son of a Woman is kind of a gold standard movie, uh, but on its own modest terms, Man Without a Face also quite quite good. I mean, Mel now what was not what was the horror what was the horror movie that is called something like Man Without a Face or or Without a Face? Or oh, there's, uh, there's a I eyes uh, eyes without a face. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, from the sixties. Yeah. Sixties and inspired the great Billy Idol ballad. <laughs> yeah. I was I was so disappointed that song wasn't in the movie. Uh, it was so wrong. They should go back. They should go back and reinstate that over the credits. <laughs> oh, that's absurd. Okay, well, the next movie is something that I barely remember, uh, but uh, it is a Patrick Swayze uh, starring movie, and uh, it's called Fatherhood, where I guess he's this uh, um, uh, deadbeat dad or whatever, uh, uh, and uh, he kidnaps these kids from this bus, and it doesn't, uh, I've never seen it, uh, but... uh, and I have to say, I I don't really want to, uh, even looking at the cast with you know Halle Berry and Diane Ladd, Bob Gunton, Adrian Barbeau, but uh, um, I don't know. Has anybody seen it? No. Uh, it's kind of a shame. I mean, uh, just two summers earlier, Swayze was doing interesting stuff in uh, Point Break, and then um, he does uh, City of Joy in '92. And that doesn't go well. And then um, this is the next thing he uh, he does is this film. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if uh, he was uh, coming out of a you know getting off the getting off the alcohol or something. Oh, on the flight, yeah. Uh, where he was not picking. Well, the right I mean, stuff. he he. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he wanted to, he wanted to mix it up, and he wanted kind of like a to play a f- father. As opposed to you know a bar bouncer or something, he probably uh, wanted a little I, shot I, at comedy, you know, because he he had been doing him comedy. As a bar bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Well, yeah. We, I, I'm not excited about fatherhood. So moving on, this this was actually kind of a surprising movie because I I thought uh, I thought eh, it's a Stephen King movie, but. But uh, Needful Things is not bad. Not a bad movie. Um, I did not see this, but what's the story? Does anyone know the story? Because there's obviously this theatrical version, but there's like this 
three hour director's oh, 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 right, yeah, right. Yeah, they did a director's cut of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the whole story behind that, but of course the you know, the the story in the in the thing is the in the movie is uh it's this you know, it's this shop that's run in this small town and everybody who comes in and buys some something from it finds the uh uh you know they 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 find you know whatever their heart desires in the shop or whatever so uh, it's it's an interesting uh it's got a good really really good cast i mean really, really good cast yeah top notch cast <laughs> one of the er- earliest prestige stephen king uh casts i mean in terms of ensembles and and a uh, rare rare lead role for Max von Sydow which uh, you know if that from yeah. that period he's more of a uh, is, this, is this a case where they thought they had the studios thought they had something potentially could be big, but it, uh, when they saw it cut together, they're like, "Oh, we got to put this, we got to dump this in the summer." They yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Must... I don't know, man. I mean, it, it's it's Castle. I think it's Castle Rock. It is. And uh, Castle is. Rock. Castle Rock has uh, been a constant supporter of Stephen King material. They've. Uh, I mean, you know, it's Rob Reiner, Castle Rock, named after. Isn't Castle Rock named after a Stephen King location or something? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Well, I think it's named after a real place in in Maine. I think, but um, no. Well, that's the town in um, in Stand by Me. The kids they grew up in uh, Castle Rock. Oh, that's that's a good uh, that's a good uh, trivia question there. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, they, I'm sure we'll we'll be getting a uh, a uh, reboot uh, remake of this, like it, and it'll be a three hour facial adaptation uh, somewhere down the line. Yeah, Adam, what do you have to say about it? Oh, uh, I was just going to say about the alternate version. Uh, it's interesting because it aired at a time when you know network television stopped airing theatrical movies at a certain point in the '90s. You know, they just People could get them on video, and there just wasn't a demand like it was back in the 70s and 80s when we were growing up. And so TBS got the rights to airing it, and that's that's the one that ran the uh, the, the longer cut, which had a, a small uh, had a uh, expanded bit by Lisa Blunt, who's in she's does a very small part in the original theatrical cut, but she's her part was expanded, and it ran about three hours and seven minutes minus the commercials or whatever. Wow. Wow. That's, you know, that's, it, it, it reminded me of Salem's Lot because, uh, if I'm not mistaken, like James Mason had a little antique store when he moved into town in Salem's that's Lot. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also reminds me of uh, something like uh, the what is what what was that Amicus movie that was done with uh, was the House that Drip Blood or something like that where the mm-hmm. with uh, yeah. uh, uh, Chris, uh, Peter Cushing is uh, as the owner of a curiosity shop, and uh, all of the characters come in. Baba do same thing. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it 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 felt to me a little bit like that. But uh, you know, I just I just like it because of Cedal. You know, really, he's he's a, he was he's a very effective lead mm-hmm. in it, and uh, and then I mean, yeah, it is a powerhouse cast: Ed Harris, Bonnie Bedelia. Uh, uh, Amanda Plummer, J.T. Walsh, uh, Ray mm-hmm. McKinnon, um, and and oh, uh, an interesting story for you. I just heard something. This is interesting. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton went in for an audition, and uh, and there sat 
J.T. Walsh in the hallway. He was about to go into audition too. <coughs> Billy Bob went in before him, and it was for the, a villainous role. And so Billy Bob walked in, and he said, look, I can read this for you, but uh, the guy you need to hire for this part is J.T. Walsh. He's the best. And so he ended up not reading, and he just recommended J.T. Walsh. And that movie was Breakdown. Wow. That is incredible. And that's that's a much... That's much better. It's probably much better with uh, mm-hmm. with J.T. Walsh in it than yeah. than with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Although I'm sure yeah. Thornton could have done a fine job with it, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. And one of the final movies he that was released while he was alive. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say this list that we have here. I think we're on the same one. I noticed they're omitting something from August 27th. I want to mention it because it, it bears mentioning. Uh, the Son of the Pink Panther is, was released on that day because I remember going to see it. Um, uh, I'm not proud of that, but I did see <laughs> Is this the one with Ted Wall? Or, uh, no, 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 this is Roberto Benigni. Okay. Yeah, and you know it's worth mentioning because it is the final film for Blake Edwards and composer Henry Mancini and Herbert Lom, the actor. Wow, all three of them, huh? Yeah, and uh, uh, Benini has one. There is one sequence Benini does do that's very funny, where he's posing as a doctor, and he's like trying to like uh, do like a physical. And he does some really good physical comedy in that one sequence. Okay. Uh, uh, now, I remember that was pretty funny. Uh, I do like the revamped score of this. Uh, Bobby oh, yeah. McFerrin yeah, the opening title. That's the, good. Bobby totally McFerrin did the, yeah, did the opening music. Of, oh, of yeah. The, the Pink Panther music. Oh, and, interesting. And, and, and they brought... Yeah, they brought back Claudia Cardinale too, who hadn't been in any of the others, I don't think. Okay. And and um, but but yeah, it's 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 definitely. It's, it's not a uh, it's not a terrible movie. I mean, because they're trying, they're not phoning it in. So they are they have a concept and they are trying. It's just uh, like all comedies, you know, it's all about timing. And so <laughs> some sequences, the timing just feels off by half a beat. Interesting. Uh, the the, the one thing that I always remember is one of our local critics when he reviewed it uh, for Creative Loafing, which is a publication that's available in our area. It's kind of like an entertainment paper, and he, I remember his quote was, uh, "If they had pissed on the grave of Peter Sellers, they couldn't have been more. <laughs> this couldn't have been more offensive." Right. <laughs> well, he's kind of right. He's kind of right. Uh, I mean, Peter, Peter Sellers was not the most. Uh, gregarious man to walk the face of the earth. Um, Not well loved. Uh, I, no, I, I mean, will say uh, the other film, I'm sure, I don't think it's been mentioned, uh, that came out that final week of August uh, that no one, you know, I think no one saw unless they were assigned to see it was um, Boxing Helena. Oh, that? no. <laughs> Jennifer Lynch's movie. Yep. Right, Jennifer Lynch with the uh, Sherilyn Finn, Sherilyn yeah, Finn, and uh, Julian Sands. Yeah. yeah. The big lawsuit, right? Yeah, the big lawsuit. There was a verbal agreement that Kim Basinger would be in it, but then she backed out. She hadn't. She hadn't signed the contract, but they were they were mad because well, you agreed you would, but she's like, well, I 
just a verbal agreement. And so it became, uh, I guess, uh, that, 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 that lawsuit basically ruled that verbal agreements count as agreements, as contracts. Mm. So it became a big deal. And so, like, Kim Basing, I think, had to pay Jennifer Lynch um, some now money. We did, now, uh, Aaron, did you interview Jennifer Lynch for us, or was that – I think you might have interviewed Jennifer Lynch for us, and you asked about Boxing Helena. Because I remember she did yeah. that movie Surveillance, and I, I was able right. to interview uh, Bill Pullman and Julia Armand, but I think I had to give Jennifer Lynch to you. And you were so brave. I, I, I'm, I don't uh, – I don't want to ask a question that makes anyone uncomfortable, so I was like, should I bring up Boxing Helena? Yeah. And you were like, oh, shit, yeah, I'll, I'll bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> You're fearless. There's, there's actually, it's, I mean, it's not a quote-unquote good movie, but there is um, there are some structures of the movie that are really interesting, and it really does get at, at uh, it's not a the movie. Could, the movie would not be made today. Could not be made today. But at the type of uh, male personality who uh, feels a compulsion to degrade a woman into liking him, uh, Boxing Helena does get at that quite well um, in some sequences. Yeah. Julian Sands is quite I just, good at I, I, I just really don't like Julian Sands. But yeah, uh, me too. I'm with you on that. A, <laughs> a, a third that emotion. Yeah, but, yeah. He's got uh, a. He's got a. He's good as a creepy guy, but uh, I I find him uh, I find him irritating well, to watch. That's, that's the warlock you're talking about, man. <laughs> yeah. The, I forgot but I will say also with with Aaron. Uh, I remember he interviewed Michael Chick Chickless for us about some stupid stoner high school movie. And uh, Aaron had most of the conversation that w- was about Wired. And I, I wouldn't have been yeah. scared to ask about Wired. But that's what you want to know from Michael Chicklis. Tell us about oh, Wired. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want to I I mean, talk to Chicky about Wired, man. Chicky. <laughs> oh, man. Well, of course, we're now into September 93, which is still technically the summer. So should we continue? Because <laughs> 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 it is. No, there's a there's a lot of good movies in September of '93. Let me just go and list them. Uh, we won't. We don't have to talk about them. We can, but uh, King of the Hill, the uh, which is previously mentioned on this show, but the great the great Soderbergh movie that's just fantastic and another uh, sign of the 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 year of children, you know, that you were mentioning, Aaron. But also um, California. Came out in uh, on the third, uh, which has a mm-hmm. really really haunting uh, performance by uh, Juliet, Juliet Lewis, and, and you know Brad Pitt's good in it too, but unfortunately it's got those two supporting performances that are to bring it mm-hmm. down a little bit. But um, and then I'm just I'm just hitting the good movies now. But uh, True Romance on the tenth, uh, which you know everybody loves, uh, and uh, then on the seventeenth, The Age of Innocence. And uh, then on the on the twenty fourth, Days to Confused, uh, which that's a that's an avalanche of goodness right there, <laughs> you know. You're leaving out you're leaving out the best film from September, man. Oh oh, what what is it? 
striking distance, man. Uh, uh, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it was going to be something horrible. But uh, Bruce, Bruce Willis and Dennis Farina as Irish cops. Oh, yes. oh boy. <laughs> no thanks. You 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 know you remind me of that time uh, a couple of uh, years ago when Ricky Gervais was hosting um, the <laughs> the Golden Globes mm-hmm. and he introduced uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis and he said, "You know him from such great films as Color of Night, Striking Distance, and Mercury Rising." <laughs> and he walked up on stage and he was pissed. You could tell it was so funny. <laughs> it was awesome. Love, I love Bruce Willis being annoyed. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Another movie that came out that uh, that September, just to mention it, uh, is uh, The Good Son, um, which is the horror movie oh. with uh, with Macaulay Culkin yeah. uh, uh, as the as the killer kid, and uh, and uh, directed by Joseph Rubin, who did you know the stepfather. And um, uh, I remember taking a look at this and thinking it was pretty good, actually. <laughs> that uh, I didn't care for it at all. Really? That was a weird movie. That it was a surprise box office. It was like number one for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Surprise hit. Everyone went. I remember. I mean, it's it's kind of sick and sad. Audiences cheered that ending mm-hmm. uh, when the mother lets him go off the cliff. Audiences cheered. Well, uh, you know, he was an evil kid. <laughs> basically a redo of the bad seed, and people people were cheering, cheering. You know, when uh, uh, Patty McCormick gets spanked at the end of uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the bad seed. So, um, and I remember Siskel and Ebert just being just morally outraged that they would make such a movie. Um, like mm. the I mean, they were just it was. It was an offense to all their sensibilities. Huh. I remember then, digging it because I'm not a I'm not a huge kid fan. So, <laughs> so if if uh, to more dead kids in movies. Oh yeah, yeah. We need more dead kids. You, you, but you, you, uh, you cheered when the you cheered when the little girl got beheaded in Hereditary, did you? <laughs> yeah. That was that was rough, but uh, yeah, I, I you know I'm I'm not a huge kid fan. What can I tell you? Elijah Wood, really good in it. Yeah, yeah. I just remember being let down by the ending, and I can't tell you exactly. It's been 25 years since I've seen it, but I just remember the ending being a little bit of a letdown, and I just didn't. It just didn't didn't gel with me. But that's just me. So. I like I like that they made the, made they they underline the creepiness of of Culkin and uh, w- which I do think that there's an inherent creepiness there and so yeah. I think that that uh, I thought that that was good casting yeah. and um, did audiences yeah. cheer when um, Culkin got stung by all those bees and my girl? <laughs> no, that makes you wonder. We, we well, loved them then, but yeah. Shows you well, what I happens think less than two years later. Uh, everyone hated him, so yeah. So yeah, we want we wanted to see him being uh, thrown off a uh, off a off a cliff by his own mother. <laughs> I remember the, well, uh, the my girl my girl my girl was shot in the town next to mine. Uh, the funeral home stuff was, and you know what's interesting? Right down the street from me uh, is Southgate shopping center it has a really retro look 
And, uh, I mean, literally, I, I go out my drive and drive down the street, and there's Southgate, and they shot Edward Scissorhands there. That's where Edward Scissorhands, or Kathy Baker's shop was, hair salon was, and they shot a lot of exterior stuff in there. And now 20, how long has it been since Edward Scissorhands? 27 years, 26 or something? 28. 28. 28 years. Um, they're shooting a new, another movie there uh, at Southgate. Uh, just the other day I went by there and all the camera trucks were there. It's the new Disney movie with Brian Cranston and Angelina Jolie, the Ivan the Terrible or something. Uh, Cranston's been walking around waving to everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's strange. Yeah. Well, I'm the, who, I'm the guy who wanted the uh, the crooks to actually uh, kidnap successfully uh, Macaulay in Home Alone, so don't ask me about Macaulay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him make uh, off with him. Back when they were filming My Girl, did uh, Dan Aykroyd go around uh, doing blues, blues duets with everyone? <laughs> uh, I, just, I just ignored him. I said I was like that Aykroyd at a funeral home. That sounds great. But I, uh, <laughs> the other oh, movie shot here in town he's actually, was. I, mean, uh, I know you don't like him. He's Wilder Nate. Quite good in my girl. <laughs> sure he is. The other movie that they shot by town was called uh, Wild Wilder Napalm. And oh so yeah. Dennis Quaid, mm-hmm. Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan would go out to all the restaurants in my city, uh, getting hammered like every single night. Uh, and I didn't run into them Ooh. either. Deborah Winger was in that too, but she kept her. Yeah, well, she, actually, that was a that was an August '93 release. So, uh, that, is that is that the movie that was married that was done by her husband at, at the time? Uh, no, no, that's a Big Bad Love, I think. That he okay, did. but yeah. he's he's in. I believe he's in Wilder Napalm. Okay. Um, Dennis Quaid yeah. had two movies that August of '93. Um, he had Wilder Napalm, and the movie I actually liked, um, Undercover Blues, uh, with oh. him and Kathleen Turner. As he's mm-hmm. kind of, uh, it's kind of this this updated Thin Man where they're kind of spies. Okay. Um, but they're and they got a baby, and but nothing phases them, and they're like a happily married couple. And I can't remember who plays the villain. It might be Stanley Tucci. Um, I have to double check, but he's like the villain Mortimer, uh, and he's constantly trying to kill him, and they keep thwarting him, and it's driving him nuts. It's a very Kevin Kleinish comic performance. Okay. It's called Wanda, and uh, I remember Undercover Blues being you know an underrated uh, uh, you know slight comedy, uh, light comedy in the, from August of '93. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, if Meg Ryan was getting smashed in the fall of '93, maybe she was preparing for when a man loves a woman. <laughs> oh, she's doing research. Yeah, yeah. doing research. She's just method acting. <laughs> uh, and then Dennis Quaid was still doing research for Postcards from the Edge. <laughs> yeah, later. years later. Yeah, exactly. I brought it up to Dennis Quaid. I said, "You shot a movie in my in my town, that Wilder Napalm," and uh, he was like, "Huh." <laughs> he's like, he's like, you know what to say, man. <laughs> and they shot in like the mobile home parks, like the like the really like rednecky places of the city. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, yeah. well, it takes place there, and like a 
mobile home and like got this photo mat inside a parking mm-hmm. lot of a shopping center. Like this yeah, that, that's there too. That's right. That's right down the street from the mobile home park. Yeah. I mean, the photo mat's not there anymore because they don't have those anymore. But uh, yeah. It's not a cult following. There are people who who really love that movie. It does have a cult yeah. following. Yeah, I mean, Jim Jones had one of those too. It does. Have a <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> Yeah.